I recently had the pleasure of meeting Father Graham Napier from St John's in the Village about the perspective on the issues facing the neighbourhood. Father Graham explains his backstory prior to arriving in the village in 2018. He describes the impact of the pandemic on the local community and how he used the neighbourhood social network next door to understand what locals were talking about and what was missing. Understanding the need for connection and community, he set out to address this need, with particular focus on food insecurity and the limited internet access of older residents. Working with an organisation called Invisible Hands, a voluntary delivery service, the church set up a dedicated phone line to take people's orders and funded the purchase of food. Scaling it at the peak of the pandemic, his team was serving all five boroughs. In addition, Father Graham's team have helped local musicians and performers to use the church theatre to live stream their performances and to sell tickets to audiences around the world. Father Graham shares his views on the needs of the community coming out of the pandemic and how St John's can help address these needs. Now, over to Father Graham. Father Graham, thank you very much for the time today in this delightful location at St John's in the village, in the garden, on this wonderful spring day. Welcome to St Benedict's Courtyard. St Benedict's Courtyard. Dedicated Courtyard. to St Benedict, whose, whose rule is of course all to do with hospitality. Uh-huh. Um, so we open up the courtyard to the community and before the virus did lots of community events yeah, here in the courtyard. Um, and hopefully they'll be coming back quite yeah. soon, with yeah. every, once everyone's vaccinated. Yeah. we get to that. So, um, so back to the neighbourhood, we've been speaking to a number of um, people in the village, influencers, um, opinion leaders, residents, retailers, businesses, politicians, uh, policy makers, and we've really been trying to understand the systemic issues that have led to the, what we're calling the fraying of the fabric of what a neighbourhood is. And and some people think nothing's changed. Others have seen significant change. People have left the city. Um, uh, stores and restaurants have shuttered. We've got a really good overview um, from those people we've spoken to. What we haven't got is a perspective of what's happening in the community from the perspective of the churches. And so I'd love you just to start with maybe just give us a bit of your backstory and how you arrived here and how you've seen the complexion and the composition of the village, and particularly this community that mm-hmm. you serve, change over the last few years, and particularly since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I arrived here in, twen- in May of 2018, I think. Um, essentially, approximately from Oxford, but more or less approximately from uh, St George's Cathedral, Perth, Australia, so mm-hmm. priest of the Anglican Church of Australia. Um, well, I had spent a year previous in the US in an academic uh, year at Minnesota House in Wisconsin, so I was new to the States. And never lived in New York before, but had visited the village often because mm-hmm. I'm a French villager, so I knew the, something of the village and its nature. Yeah. Um, so I was appointed in May of 2018. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, came to my attention very immediately was so many people in the village who lived in the village for a long time but didn't know anybody in the village. And this was extraordinary because the word village suggests uh, what we might know from the UK is a village where everybody knows each other. Um, uh, also 
before I'd been here, much of this, these spaces were underused. Mm -hmm. uh, this courtyard was never opened. Wow. Um, there was very little going on. Um, so I thought there's clearly a need out there for people to connect with each other and we have some opportunity and spaces and person power to be able to mm. facilitate that. So in addition to our worship, which is Anglican, um, we began doing lots of other things as well. So not mostly in arts programs. So we have a particular arts bent. That's in concerts and plays and the visual arts. Mm. So we opened a gallery, converted one of the spaces into a gallery. Um, we've always had a theatre and a theatre theater company um, and then we started doing a really large concert program like four concerts a week Wow um, How, When? So when you before joined? the pandemic Oh, yeah. before, yeah. right Yeah um, um, And the audience of most of those was local mm. um, and then once we got the contact us with that we could invite them to other things We all started doing um, what we call backyard suppers mm -hmm. So there had been some individuals in the community trying to meet that need of let's get to know each other by suggesting people go to restaurants together like a kind of supper club. Yeah. But of course in, in the village all the restaurants were too expensive and too small yeah. to do that. I, I perceived that thread and piped in and said well let's do them in this courtyard garden when, mm. the, when the weather permits it. Uh, just bring a plate, put it out, buy a case of wine and off we go. Where do you get the food? People bring a plate. So oh, share. they bring their own food. Yeah, because oh, they're, they're right. locals, they're villagers. Yeah. Okay, so they'll bring so, a, a pasta yeah. salad or ah, a nice. green salad. Yeah, um, and it didn't need much coordinating. We should open the doors and put it there. And lots of people who've been in the village for a long time just met new people who've also been in the village for a long time. Mm -hmm. So we kept trying to do those at a regular basis, and then other events, um, like musical events in the courtyard, and mostly try to keep those free, and especially free to seniors. So we did. Through some help we got, we were able to make many of our concerts free to seniors, mm. um, with um, reserved allocation and so on. Um, and there's another need there for seniors to get out and do things. Seniors won't go up to the Met or the Lincoln yeah. Centre, it's just too far for them to go even by public transport. Um, so to get culture to them, and that's a different need from the, you know, the people getting to know each other. But there are both perceived needs which we rose to meet in various mm -hmm. ways. Okay. So on the second part of your question, noticing change, well, I've only been here for those two, and it, that, that is May 2018, yeah. so uh, as a newcomer, I was not really in a position to perceive change, because mm -hmm. I was learning all the stuff for the first time anyway, so, um, and then the pandemic hit, which has changed things by its nature, so yeah. I don't think I'd be able to comment on pre-pandemic changes in the village, except the hearsay that I have from friends in the village. And these events that you were running... Um, Theatre, but particularly the sort of the community meals and coming together around wine and plates. Yeah, were they um, in your congregation or people coming? No, neighbours. So people in the local neighbourhood. That's really interesting. Mostly the streets around here: Charles Street, Perry Street. So what it's done? Eleventh. It's initiated people coming together and building community that wasn't there before. Uh, yeah, and wow. the need was easy to perceive because it was being talked about on social media. Um, mm -hmm. A particular social medium called. It's very localized. Mm, I've forgotten door? the name of it. Nextdoor.com, yes, where, where you can focus into just a few streets or something. So you you were tracking the social media to see what yeah. the mood of the neighborhood. Yeah, was I joined like. Nextdoor.com for wow. various reasons to see what people were talking about in the neighborhood, uh -huh. and mostly it's you know buying and selling and, and lost like cats and things. What, I mean, but this was very interesting that this need, I mean this, this chain of 
of discussion had hundreds of people joining into it. So people were saying there's a lack of community or just saying I don't know anyone, I've come to the village? Mm, yeah, I've been in the village for 25 years and I really know hardly anybody, wow. um, that kind of thing. Uh, it's interesting. So or some people, I've just arrived in the village uh-huh. and I'd like to get to know people and there doesn't seem to be a way of doing that. Other people have been here 30 years and all my friends are dead mm-hmm. and I haven't got any the other ones so it's a different thing but all yeah. the same same core thing that here we live in this village quite living closely with each other mm-hmm. and yet we don't have this social connection it's interesting we um, but the people were keen to do it so, so they all came and they met people for the first time and exchanged oh. their cards and said and that other things came out of it and those people have remained in connections. Yeah, we have a list. So we whenever do we do that kind of thing, I've got all their emails because they were doing this. Uh-huh. And, come. and of course, COVID has stopped that because yeah. we can't do corporate food. We can do corporate drinks, and I, I'll probably look at that as the first one of those things, uh-huh. so it's like afternoon or early evening drinks or something yeah. with no food. Wow, that's wonderful. There, um, I'm a member of a co-working space in Madison. Uh, Park Avenue and uh, 25th uh, called Noy House and it's all about fostering community amongst mm-hmm. uh, organisations yeah and the, the last night they had, we had our first event back only mm-hmm. nine people um, all masked up yeah um, since Covid hit and it was a guy who's doing a lot of work with Grow NYC mm-hmm. um, to build food security and one of the conversations we were having was about community and the lack of it. And I talked about when I left the West Village to move to Williamsburg, one of the great things that I experienced there was a thing called North Brooklyn Farm, which was a community farm created mm-hmm. by uh, an, an empty space of two trees on the development of Domino Park, leased to these two guys, Henry mm-hmm. Sweets and Lorraine Watson, who had a love for an interest in urban farming. And they just built this wonderful farm, but more than that, a community of people. Because all the neighbors. And people, but it was open to anyone could come down at any time. So, in a space where there's very little natural green, people would walk their dogs, they'd bring their kids, they'd do barbecues, people could bring beer and wine at nights. And it was wonderful, and people got talking. And when it closed last year, just before the pandemic, I know it was going to happen because they were doing the development, everyone came together in a community meeting and said, How do we place this? Because now something's left, something's left the community. And there was real a sense of loss and anxiety. So it is interesting that what you're doing here is filling a need that people are talking about. And they were talking about it just in these blocks. What does it mean for the rest of the city? Mm. So that's a really interesting signal mm. that that's an unmet need that needs yeah. to be addressed by city policymakers. Yeah. If not them, then at least working concert with organizations like churches, like voluntary organizations, to create these spaces. Yeah. yeah. Because as we come out of this, I'm sure one of the things you may have witnessed from your congregation and your neighbors is the impact on mental health mm-hmm. and people's anxiety. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to, if you could maybe talk about, um, since things are beginning to open up, what impact has it had on your congregation and your, your neighbors? Uh, we've sort of got things in the wrong order. I mean, we've gone pre, pre-pandemic and yeah. now post-pandemic. The pandemic yeah. is probably the more interesting well, okay. time. Yeah. Well, then let's talk about that then. Yeah. So, so the pandemic then created uh, constraints, but also other needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
um, we looked to see what needs were out there that we could address in the community. And fairly quickly, we identified one particular clientele group that were, that were uh, vulnerable. Um, so this is with food security. So obviously lots of people were ordering their food online and all that kind of stuff when it was possible to do so because of the backlog of things. But of course there are many, especially elders in the village who do not have internet access, who could not order anything in online. Um, and they were too frightened to go to grocery stores. So there's a clientele group that's immediately needy. Um, we discovered an organization called, uh, a volunteer organization called Invisible Hands, uh, which do delivery from a shop to, you know, to a home, um, really supplying what was lacking because the shops themselves ran out of the capability of doing that pretty early in the pandemic. So Invisible Hands stepped in to do that. But you could only order with Invisible Hands if you had the internet. So uh, we set up a fund and a group of volunteers and a dedicated phone line to man a hotline. Mm. So people could phone, all they needed was a phone, phone the line, put in a grocery order. We then fill out a form with invisible hands. The grocery order gets delivered to them at their homes and we've the bill. Wow. So because no money was changing hands, uh, they were more confident in being able to do this. Lots of seniors wouldn't engage in any kind of thing like that if they had to pay not because they're miserly but because they're just distrustful of yeah. those sort of things um, and I got some funding from Scotland in fact um, and from other private benefactors um, from Scotland? yes well, uh, from, from a trust a trust right yes. wow which was allowed to distribute funds in any country that doesn't have a national health system <laughs> oh, there's most, something deeply It's mostly aimed at Sub-Saharan Africa, but, I know. but we I mean, qualify here. United States of America. Oh, I would love to tell some <laughs> Republican friends that. Um, so that was the big chunk of funding came, and then some other Americans who are actually friends or yeah. related to that Scottish trust, um, and put some parish money in as well. Um, so that's still going, but it's naturally ta- we're going to stop it probably yeah. end of May. It's naturally tailing off as vaccinated feel comfortable going out and doing those things mm. for themselves uh, but at some point it was really extremely busy and we had to, to rail it in a bit um, what, 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 well at one at one point we were doing it was just, it was just New York City mm. so that was like five boroughs and we didn't think the word of mouth would get very far oh, outside so it wasn't just this neighborhood in, at one point it's now Manhattan only we, oh. then we had reduced it to Manhattan only because the word of mouth spread much more quickly than we thought so we had to pull, pull back to be more local um, uh, and um, so what we find now as the thing's been tailing off people got the vaccinations and so on um, we're left with a kind of core group of needy people who are yes without internet um, but probably also quite food insecure financially mm. as well so it's actually there's another need there as well as the as but well as the communication old, need but always the older generation yes specifically aimed at them yeah. because there wouldn't be anybody younger generation who lacks internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. So how would that... So that's clientele group. We have been specifically helping, um, but other clientele groups as well, performing artists, mm. you know, when the pandemic they hit. lost everything, yeah. Uh, yeah, so pretty much by the first month of the pandemic, we had invested in the equipment and the personnel to do live stream concerts from the church. Mm. So we've been doing a number of concerts every before the con- before the pandemic we did four concerts a week or five 
um, mostly in classical music, but also jazz and other genres too. Um, and we've kept doing at least two a week during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And these are live streamed, and people buy tickets online, and all the COVID safety is there, and it's all produced and mixed and all that kind of stuff. So we've been doing that to allow those what performers. Sort of, what sort of audience? Uh, very different. So some people might sell 2,000 tickets, because you buy them anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, some people might sell 25 tickets, mm-hmm. depending who they are, how well they market it, uh-huh. uh, and so on. What platform is it over? We partner with an organization called Muse, uh-huh. uh, which is set up to do live streaming concerts. So they handle ticketing and the streaming part. Uh-huh. We work with two sound engineers on site, and there's a remote sound engineer as well. Um, and um, yeah, so we've enabled the musicians to stay in contact with their audiences and get new, gain new audiences and earn not a lot of money because you can't charge much for these things uh, but to earn some money from it certainly not lose money but importantly keep performing yeah. and keep connecting to audiences oh, that's um, and that's been extremely busy and it <laughs> in the past before the pandemic concerts earned us money uh-huh. when we started doing live streaming we pay for the concerts yeah. uh, and try to recoup on the portion we take ticket costs and miraculously the thing has managed to work out so we haven't gone into the red. So so a popular concert has essentially subsidized an unpopular concert. So the performers Performers, all get some form of revenue? They get 85% of the ticket revenue. And then the rest covers your costs? Uh, Some of it in the museum as well. Doesn't always. uh, Some concerts will make a loss for us and some concerts will make a profit for us. And how do you identify the performers and how do they apply? They, They mostly come to us asking, so word of mouth gets around musicians pretty quickly. And of course, we had a whole stable of musicians kind of on board before the pandemic, people who regularly perform here. Um, so there was a, a core of musicians who wanted to keep performing, and then others saw their performances online and said, I can do that too, and so on. So very much word of mouth in the musical community. It's, it's always been, it's always musicians and not um, comedians or any other? Mostly musicians of various different genres, but we've also done some like 200 plays uh-huh. and monologues, so yeah. we've done some drama in that way as well, live streaming through Muse. Uh-huh. Where do you do it? In the uh, most music is in the church, mm-hmm. uh, some of it's in the gallery, because we have Steinway in the gallery, and then things like little plays, they're mostly in the gallery too. Mm-hmm. And have you seen other churches uh, start to embrace this as an approach? No. I mean, the other churches do liturgically what we do, we live stream liturgy. But I haven't seen other churches doing as much concert work or theatre work. Yeah, it's doing. genuinely innovative. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, th- I, mean, I think some people are scared of opening up their space to that use because of safety and COVID mm-hmm. and whatever, and others just don't really want to do things. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's the effort. I mean, we had this strong tradition, you know, like uh-huh. four or five concerts every week, um, and I couldn't just see it stop mm-hmm. from the pandemic. Um, I suppose that now and we have a theatre as well, a theatre company, and that has been dark since the pandemic because it's bound by our theatre company is bound by actors' equity rules, yeah. and basically they're so stringent that we can't do anything in the theatre. Because a couple of the conversations um, I've had with restaurateurs have been about, you know, they know. I mean, they've struggled because of the delivery fees really hammering their margins up to thirty percent. They have to to these deliveries and the seamlessness. Uh, right. And when people order in, they don't order a three-course meal and all the wine. 
they just have their main basics. Yeah. The way they make their money is on the wine and the desserts. So, right. you know, they are all trying to reinvent what the the delivery experience is. And, mm. and you know, we've talked to a number of people about could you create some form of premium delivery dinner series where you're all going online to eat at the same time your delivery and you're getting entertainment whether it be musicians uh, performers and to chat with them as well because I've done um, during the year and the reason we've been talking about it we did a uh, myself and my partner Elaine we part of a dinner series by a UK based group that were called um, Sunday Dinners that they used to go you on Sunday you start in London Chelsea you mm -hmm. turn up on a Sunday night meet people you didn't know yeah so during the pandemic what they did was deliver working with uh, Cip Cipriani to deliver food and then you'd all get on Zoom and they'd bring in artists they'd bring in um, cellists performing for us yeah nice and speaking so I mean there's a potential there and I don't think we're going to well you might have a different respect, perspective I don't think we're going to go back to exactly the way things were before it's going to be some form of fusion. Yes, I think so. Um, we have used Zoom for all kinds of meetings, like everybody else has in the pandemic. We found that, that having some particular meetings are better by Zoom than they are in person. Mm -hmm. People are more attentive, nobody wants to be there for too long, uh, there's no sort of chit-chat around the table. Um, so I think I'm going to continue vestry meetings, for example, by Zoom and not uh -huh. go back to in-person. Okay. And we've had 100% attendance because people can attend from wherever they are. That face-to-face -face approach, that is very important. So so we will start doing community events um, here in within COVID safety, outdoors, drinks only, no food, uh, and get that sense of community back again. And of course, we were, as soon as the bishop allowed us to do so, we were worshipping in person as yeah. well, with space, distance and masks and whatever. We used to run up like a lunch after every Sunday mass, but we had to stop that and involves food um, yes not, not everything will return to the way it was before but I think those face-to-face -face social gatherings are really important mm -hmm. and we want to start doing that as soon as we can safely what's the impact we've heard a lot about I mean the facts that 300,000 people left the city mm -hmm. uh, I know there are people coming back but what's been your barometer on your congregation in terms of what you're seeing or hearing some have left um, but not many. I mean, I could list in one hand those I know who have left the city to go to other places. Um, they just kept kept their heads down, mm -hmm. basically. So we haven't perceived a massive exodus of people. Though some have moved to Colorado and California and whatever. Um, amongst our musician stables, uh, we have quite strong Australian connections here. And many Australians went home as soon as they well while they still could. Um, so that was a bigger exodus in terms of. Australian and British and other musicians because they couldn't they couldn't make their way here. So we saw that exodus more so than more so than worshippers. They were they stayed pretty constant mm -hmm. with some people moving away and one death in the pandemic. That's all. And what about your And then they were very keen to come back as soon as we were allowed to do so. And now you're you're at capacity of what? Yeah, we're, the six-foot distancing limits us. Yeah. So in the church, we only have 20 locations, and each location can have one person or two. And then a little bit of overflow in the common room and courtyard, so we're at... It's first come, 30. first serve on a Sunday. Yep. 
well, with people booking in advance. Oh, they do. I, <laughs> that must be yeah, novel. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, they can still do live streaming. Yes, it's a live stream. Yeah. 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 So uh, people will prefer to be at home and join the live stream. And then we do drinks, but not food after, and, and because we have the weather to do so now, and then Zoom that as well. So we'll have a computer set up in the garden, mm-hmm. and people from their homes will join the Zoom, and then people in the garden will come up and say hello, <laughs> and do that Brilliant. kind of thing. So they might That's just be a hybrid few thing. Away. They might just be an extraordinary, yeah. but they'll be joining by Zoom with uh-huh. their own drinks at home. And, wow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it was a little bit awkward and strange when we first tried that, but people could get used to all sorts of things. What about the economic impact? Um, you talk about food insecurity. Have you, being in this neighbourhood, are you aware of increase in uh, homelessness and displacement, people being losing mm-hmm. their homes? Or not very aware. No, yeah. no. Not seen that. Um, we have quite a few transient people who come into the church or the courtyard during the day. Yeah. Um, who are generally not from this neighbourhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but they find this is a nice place to hang out during the day, so they'll come and do that. Mm. But they're generally not villagers, they come from, yeah. yeah. And maybe they're not actually homeless either, they're just slightly housing insecure and oh, right. go back up to the Bronx or something when the end of the day comes. And what conversations are you having with the other um, organisations or organisations in the village that might be NGOs or philanthropists about working together to in ways that maybe have not, not occurred in the past? Have been any outreach out um, to you? The, the, the principal, well, I suppose the two principal um, organisations we work with are Invisible Hands, mm-hmm. who are the volunteers who do the deliveries that we pay for. Yeah. Um, so we had to had some teething problems getting that relationship working smoothly, uh-huh. but we persevered with that and got it working well. So that was a volunteer organisation. Of Did they just we, form during the pandemic? Yeah, they formed because of the pandemic. Who's behind it? Uh, he's a student at NYU. Mm-hmm graduate student, an undergraduate graduate student, I think, at NYU, and very quickly got all the students involved, and it was there to meet the need of the actual process of delivery, because Uh shops themselves couldn't do it, which at the moment was so high, shops couldn't do it. So they started doing that, but not not paying for those, people paid for their groceries, but Uh Invisible Hands did free delivery for them, because the shops couldn't deliver. Um, And we were looking at uh, what some of our volunteers here said, what we need to do is delivery for people and I said well maybe that already exists go mm-hmm. and look and can find out and then we discovered Invisible Hands mm-hmm. and then we partnered with them because we saw the gap in their program is that if you don't have the internet you can't use them mm-hmm. um, and then we you know uh, worked together for that particular clientele and then Muse which is a commercial organisation um, to help our musicians mm-hmm. uh, live stream to audiences um, the local newspaper is something I contributed to um, and certainly go to contributors' meetings to find out what everybody from the different aspects are talking about. So contributors' meetings have kind of amateur journalists, but restaurateurs, business owners, landlords, tenants, you know, cross-spectrum of the community, and they all say their piece. Mm. Um, so that's a good way of keeping in touch. Social media, to keep an eye on the need that we're seeing. And do you have any formal relationship with Nextdoor? With Nextdoor.com? Yeah, no, 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 I'm just a, a user, so I yeah. wanted to be as a way of perceiving particularly local things. Yeah, because one of the people we're, we're um, been talking to, well, we haven't interviewed her yet, is Mariam Anakaisam, um, I think it is. She's the marketing director of it. Oh. So she lives here. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Did it begin here? 
Did it begin here? I don't know if it began in the West Village, but I know that she lives... I think she... Yeah, she lives here. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Um, because she and... Um, I think it's a very good platform. Jacqueline Novakratz, who runs Acumen. I don't know if you know the big that one. philanthropy organisation. They're both residents of the village, and they know Vanessa. So they've all been talking about have maybe the need for a space, a community mm-hmm. space. Which is interesting to have that. And this is the, the part of the thing I'm also seeing, is there's so many conversations going on different people about different needs in parallel mm. you know maybe one of the things that might come out of this is a way to get people to bring their initiatives together mm-hmm. um, and harness the resources because you know if someone's saying hey let's open a community space in partnership with Brookfield so that people can go and do exactly what you're doing here you know why would you why not pool resources mm-hmm. and collaborate mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things that um, certainly we're seeing that with small businesses, they're not communicating, they're not collaborating. And there's so many organizations, small organizations out there with really good social intent, and whether it's to address food insecurity or homelessness um, or other forms of injustice. Everyone's got their, their little niche. Yeah. So that's just something. That I, I, I should have mentioned that another thing I perceive in the West Village because there's so many artsy people mm-hmm. here there are quite a few and, and there are no there are no longer any galleries in the village mm-hmm. and the commercial galleries in Chelsea are very exploitative as they are in Soho yeah. so that's one of the reasons why we started a small art gallery to allow have you villagers you seen art in the avenue yes yeah um, to allow villagers to exhibit who others would just not be able to exhibit and you know within the West Village we have Westpeth yeah. like a colony of so hundreds yeah. of artists which has one gallery itself, and they, but you get to exhibit once every five years or something. So that was a need, a particular niche need, I suppose, in the village that we wanted to address. Yeah, so we went along to the, what's the theatre? Lucel Lortel, Lortel Theatre, where they're starting the, the, the gallery walk for Art on the Avenue. Yeah. And uh, Barbara Anderson, who, with her daughter Jackie Graham, launched it in Columbus Avenue last year she was saying that you know the the landlords some of them have been if you get to the right landlords they're more than willing to help if you're dealing with the commercial real estate who managed to try and rent the place out mm. they're like nah too much effort and there's just a resistance and she said you know but these places are still just got for rent and, and Mm. They could have beautiful art in there, and they could be creating yeah. an opportunity yeah. for the artists, and bringing attention to the value of the retail space. Yeah. So yeah. it's really sad that there's a resistance um, and a lack of collaboration coming together, mm. even even now. When I was in Perth, Australia, um, living on the wrong side of the railway tracks, but working in the cathedral yeah. in the centre of the city, um, that my the main street in Northbridge, which is kind of the village of or the Soho of of Perth went really under and the, the you know, shops were closing and whatever and the city of Perth just decided to use various ways of encouraging pop-up galleries mm. and even pop-up eateries and after about six months that kickstart was enough to get other major retailers back into the place and it just took off and the city didn't need to do it again yeah. it's just, and just enough stimulus I suppose yeah. to get the street popular again and then it became worthwhile for other series uh, commercial interest to move back into the street. What do you feel is lacking in this neighbourhood? 
or what do you feel could be done that's not being done? Whether it be by city policy makers or if there's a, something that you feel is in, there's an absence of something. Well, I think that the principal one that I perceived right at the beginning as the lack of arenas in which local people can meet each other independently of specific interest groups. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a stamp collector or yeah. a dog walker or something, you probably know other stamp collectors mm-hmm. and dog walkers yeah. from the way you get together. But just getting together by virtue of locale mm-hmm. is, is the absence. I mean, I don't know to what extent the parks, like Avenue Square and so on, I mean, that does, that does work to a certain extent because people begin it's to recognise each time. other. In, yeah. <laughs> but not so much at other times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, that, that is a lack. So our, our gallery, um, open, opening the gallery was not just about visual artists, but primarily it was to allow people to exhibit who couldn't otherwise exhibit. A lot of West Beth people exhibited. Um, but also to provide an indoor space that's it's not a church, uh, it's not a person's home, and is indoors. So we did a lot of events that weren't really connected with the art on the walls, or only tangentially so. Yeah. And people would come not because they wanted to see the art on the walls, but because they wanted to be amongst neighbours in a convivial indoor yeah. environment. Mm. And just before the pandemic hit, I was looking towards um, a, a kind of WeWork space, so putting a long table down the middle of the gallery mm. and, and opening it as a space you know, in gallery opening hours where wow. people could come quietly with their laptop and use the Wi-Fi and work. Wow. Uh, look, the plans for that just got uh, derailed by the pandemic. Mm. But on the other side, I'd like to do that. Mm. What's your sense, um, feeling about when we might get back to being able to do something like well, that? I'm not the person to ask. No. <laughs> Not a medico. Um, I, by word of mouth, I pick up people talking about September. Uh-huh. By September, will be normal. Yeah. I mean, we're going into the, the lull of this New York summer anyway, yeah. so you think right, right off July or August. Are we going to be normal by June? Maybe not. Therefore, mm. September. Yeah. And uh. certainly, we are planning on that, and we've got events we're planning in September that we will allow, which assume no social distancing, mm. even if there are masks. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, I mean, you're obviously... So the, the, the clientele group that we've been assisting with, uh, with food, um, we have a date in September to invite them here to a get-together. So lovely. the volunteers yeah. and the people and us and all can ah. actually see yes, We're all great. part of this big program yeah. across the city. Um, so we're assuming that by September it'll be possible to do that. Yeah, even though we won't have uh, tourists back. <laughs> no, who are the foreign tourists? No. Yeah. Um, being uh, your sort of home country, Scotland, having spent a lot of time in Australia. My home country is actually Ireland, but I was ordained in Scotland and All right. served my, my title in Inverness. Alright, where in Ireland? County Down. Ah, so okay. practically in Scotland. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, 16 miles from the Mulligan Tower. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, wow, well, that really is it's closer than Edinburgh. Yes. <laughs> um, do you, because of your um, heritage and your where you've worked before, and how um, do you say you serve the church? You serve, yeah. You do serve, serve as the church, word, yeah. Where you've served, um, have you seen a lot of people come from uh, Australia, Scotland, and Ireland to visit the church? Uh, yes, um, but not by accident. It's because 
promoted particular yeah. events or contacts and so on. And do you have connections with other churches in other countries? Uh, yes. Through the Anglican? Through the, the Worldwide Anglican Communion, yeah. yes. Yeah. What about connections to other churches in the city? Uh, my experience here has been rather odd in that everywhere else I've worked, churches like to cooperate with each other, but not in New York City. No? It's very... Each Fight person them. doing their own thing. It's very strange. Yeah, that is. And unlike other, even the Episcopal Church. I mean, there are structures where we, and we are in the Dyson. Mm-hmm. There's nothing unfriendly, but there's just a culture here of just doing your own thing. Mm. Is there a Presbyterian church? In yes, the Presbyterian Church in North America is a very significant. And that's derived be, from the Church of Scotland. It would, yeah. 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 And a great church, the philanthropy and so on. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, denominations are very separate here. Nothing ecumenical happens in the USA at all compared to UK or Australia. Um, I'm used to having certain times in the year when you do ecumenical things with other denominations. Not here. Um, so I said, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I've got other things to do than to kind of repair that mm. malaise, if you think of it as a malaise. Um, I'm busy doing other things. But connection to particular communities um, mm. is important. So tomorrow, Sunday, is Anzac Day. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we're full of Australians and yeah. New Zealanders and our own people have to sit in the courtyard to allow those people to come to the service ah. for Anzac Day. Um, and we're doing Australian music and an Australian preacher and that kind of stuff. And then we do Irish stuff and around St. Patrick's Day and uh, Scottish stuff. Uh, Burns nothing, Night. Nothing and for St. George's. St. George's. <laughs> 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 give that one a body swear. <laughs> uh, my cathedral in in Perth is dedicated to St. George. Yeah. Oh, well. uh, but mo- monarchy things. Uh-huh. So I think last year the coronation day fell on a Sunday, so we had a special service to do that and then drinks afterwards and singing God Save the Queen. Are you connected and, to... And that was connecting to people from various parts of the Commonwealth, uh-huh. and Caribbean people, um, some Canadians and so on. Are you connected to um, Nikki at Tea and Sympathy? I met her once and been in the shop, but... Yeah. Not no yeah. strong connection. Because yeah. I'm but go there. I sometimes. said to was it um, speaking to? I think so. That's where we had to go to get our poppies for Remembrance Sunday. Yeah. We do that. American churches don't do it. Um, so that's how we connect to the British community, especially through doing Remembrance Sunday mm. in a very triad way. Because the thing I um, the conversation wasn't with her, Molly, who works for us, our manager. It was someone else the other day. Um, oh yeah, it was um, um, Claude Noel at Lafanion, just up on the corner, and saying, "I remember um, things like the Jubilee in the UK having big street parties." Yeah. And you know, there's been street parties here in the past, and it feels like when this passes and there gets to a point where we can gather together, the need for some the community to come together, and take what you've done here turn it into some form of street party that would be all the way down bleaker you know that would be amazing yeah to do that yeah bring together the organizations that all operate in the village the different churches and say and go to mastercard and say come on you say things are priceless let's create a pri- priceless mm. parade we'll do something like that i think that would be a real that would be brilliant way to do something that harks back to the past where the street associations and the block Associations had their parties. Did they outdoors? Did they do them outdoors? I've heard people talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Right. I've been. To, I connect to many of the block associations around here, and I've been to their various yeah. indoor 
event? Because I, I, it was um, Rosemary at Madame Matuvu, the store on West 10th Street. It's a vintage store. Oh, yeah. And she's Ugandan. She's been here 30 years. And she talked about how the West 10th Street had a block party. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's great. That's a big ambition. I'd like to organise that. So Quite a but few of the block associations use our space to meet in. Uh, oh, well, there, there you go. Start the conversation there. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one in, in Perth, in my street in Perth, Money Street. It's a beautiful uh, avenue lined with plane trees, with London planes. And just as planes these were shedding their leaves in the autumn, um, it was April, um, conv- I, I knew enough of the residents by then to say, let's just bring a trestle table, put mm-hmm. it up an hour to set up, people brought the, the thing and we got the city council's permission to close off the street for the afternoon, it was yeah. great. No. It's a perfect place to do it, West Village, so... Yeah, maybe. whose permission do you need to close a street? The city I, of New York? I'm going to look into it. Yeah. It's on my list of things to do, so... I noticed that um, in the the arts enterprise called, what is it called, Open Up New York or something, that there are streets where where art events can happen uh, I mean performing arts um, okay. but none of them in the village hmm. that's strange isn't it the nearest one is beside the, the UPS thingy in, which is probably NoHo or something uh-huh. um, yeah so I looked at their map of these places where artists performing arts can apply to use these spaces to do outdoor performances and there's no street in the village ok that's got to be solved <laughs> right ok uh, Father Graham um, that's been wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and your uh, enlightening answers and uh, insight into what's really happening on the ground. So, happy to help. Okay. Thank you very much.